Welcome everybody to Beat the Shift Baseball. This is episode 15 for Friday, January 26th. I am Alex Uwe, and I'm here today with Ray Estrada. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling quite good. We got a couple podcasts that we'll be doing the next couple days. We, there's lots of news to talk about, which is something that is refreshing and new. So, And we, news is finally happening ahead of the podcast that it's appropriate for yeah it is. <laughs> and it's the timing works out because um well today in this podcast we will be doing our our white Sox preview it's our white Sox team of the week podcast we'll get to that later on in the episode but there was a lot of news regarding the brewers today they made a trade and signed another high profile free agent so we'll be talking about all those moves on i the podcast that is going to be the same day as this one. So um, we'll be doing a, a Brewers and Marlins joint podcast um, that'll be released the same day this is released. This is being recorded in advance. So be on the lookout for that if you're interested in hearing what we have to say about what the Brewers have been up to. And before we get to the White Sox in this one, we'll also be talking about the Hall of Fame inductees who were announced just a couple days ago, or yesterday for us, but, you know, there's still plenty of controversy. The ones, the players that made it in um, are obviously deserving of it. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Chipper Jones, Jim Tomey, Vladimir Guerrero, and Trevor Hoffman all going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and Edgar Martinez and Mike Mussina still not quite there yet. They are the cl- next two closest but Edgar is in his last year next year, so we have one more shot to get him into the Hall of Fame. Hopefully, they make the right decision and get him in there. But let's we'll go ahead and talk about the the players that made it that deserve it. Um, you know they've they've had some spectacular careers. So before we'll talk about the White Sox, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame. So what what is your reaction to all of this? It's a very broad question. I'll. I'll leave it up to you to decide to talk about any one of these these four players first. Um, I think all these four players are very deserving of the Hall of Fame, and it's kind of the four players we thought would get in. Uh, yeah, Chipper Jones, one of the best switch hitters of all time, and just one of the best hitters, period, of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Tomey, uh, 600 home runs, 956 OPS. Vladimir Guerrero, I mean, I don't... He wasn't like fundamentally sound as a hitter, but at the same time he was. He, he just hit. He just hit. That's what Vladimir Guerrero did. Slash three eighteen, three seventy nine, five fifty three, throughout his career. Trevor Hoffman, one of the greatest closers of all time, six hundred one saves. So I mean, they're all they're all very deserving, and I think there are guys like you mentioned, Martinez and Mucina, who didn't get in this year, uh, who should. I mean, there's a lot of talent stacked on this ballot, and I think it would have been hard just to, to put like seven guys in Mm -hmm. yeah and i have lots of problems with the way the hall of fame is conducted in its current state but i'll use this this podcast as an opportunity to to celebrate the players that are being recognized this year because they deserve it um i would say for me you know growing up in orange county like really close to the angels vladimir guerrero was particularly fun to watch among these four um you know you that i like how that's the 
the lasting impression that he leaves is that the guy could hit anything and he swung at everything uh, and it, it it's something that not many people will model themselves after like you mentioned but it is certainly just a a, quir- a quirky fun type of player to watch and he is going in as an angel he has announced that officially now so i guess he, there will there won't be any more expos joining the hall of fame if i'm if i'm thinking correctly like there's no more you know, former expos that would make it into the hall of fame at this point right i mean maybe bartolo but yeah i don't think bartolo clones making it into the hall of fame. <laughs> no i don't think so either but yeah he was probably i mean guerrero is the last guy who played for the expos and is going to be a hall of famer yeah and he's actually the first angel to make it into the hall of fame yeah well for not to clever not the first, the first angel the, the, fir- first, the first player to wear an angel's hat on as his an angel right on his yeah yes correct good <laughs> good correction but yeah you know what i meant just to clarify he's the first player in the hall of fame with an angel's hat on his head i guess on his That's, plaque on his plaque on on his head on his plaque did we did we clarify that quite enough at this point <laughs> have you ever been to the hall of fame Ever, I have not. Been to Cooperstown? I, mean, I'm, I, I got a chance to go. It was actually really fun. Yeah, my grandparents went. They brought me back a shirt that had all the Dodgers Hall of Famers on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it, it's cool. It's like the whole – all of Cooperstown is just the fun little baseball town. Yeah. That was definitely the coolest part about it. Um, yeah, it was just a little, little minor anecdote that didn't really have any substance that I felt the need to throw in there. Uh, let's talk about some of these other guys, though. Um, Chipper Jones, like you mentioned, is probably the most notorious of all of these these players. Him and Tommy were, and well, the three of them were first ballot, right? Uh, Guerrero was second ballot. Um, okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, so Chipper and uh, Jim Tommy, first ballot Hall of Famers. Um, Chipper Jones was kind of just you know that that face of baseball for a while, like n- not necessarily the main face because he overlapped quite a bit with guys like Derek Jeter, you know, Alex Rodriguez, Alex Rodriguez. Like there were other big names out there, but Chipper Jones was very, very steady throughout, you know, of course, everybody in Atlanta loved him. He didn't give anybody reasons to hate him. So that's just another plus slashed had a 300, 400, 500 triple slash line, which of course I, I think any player with the length of, you know, the career that Chipper Jones had, if you're able to put up a slash line like that, it should be an automatic induction. That's an incredible feat to accomplish. Yeah. And that is kind of pointing at Edgar Martinez at that point, because he did that, in you know, arguably at an even <laughs> more impressive rate than Chipper did. Um, but yeah, like the, these, some of these names are not surprising at all. I think the most surprising or the most... Um, borderline one was trevor hoffman for sure you know obviously one of the best relief pitchers of all time like one of the best closers of all time um but some people still like to make their their arguments against relief pitchers in the hall of fame because they they don't throw very often you know he he threw one inning per game like 50 like 50 60 times a year you know why is why does that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, he's the best at what he did, so don't be yeah, mad at, I mean, don't be upset about what he did. 
you know just look at it, the scope of everything that he accomplished it, it's hard to argue against 600 saves i mean to say that i mean at, at the end of the day it, it is all these guys are kind of doing the same thing more or less just some guys do it more often than others depending upon their role to say that they don't deserve to be a Hall of Fame because, oh, they don't throw enough as much as starters. They don't affect the game as much. I mean, that, 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 I, I, don't, I don't like that argument because he still won 601 games for his teams. Well, he saved them. For his saved team. them. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he, was, he was the the deciding factor, the last pitcher on the mound. Everybody loves a good old-fashioned save, right? Yeah. You, you know, all the, all the new school... You know, sabermetrics guys can can throw saves out the window in terms of performance, but it it does mean something when you're able to accumulate 600 of them. So you know he's he's there. He deserves to be there. So, of course, the controversy lies outside the the inductees. <laughs> that's yes. That's the biggest <laughs> thing that we have to talk about at this point. We didn't really talk about Jim Tomey. I, I'm gonna acknowledge that he had a phenomenal career as well 600 home run club uh what more do you want really like that's being just basically being able to do 600 of anything other than just base hits will be a good yeah be a good marker for getting into the hall of fame um yeah so let's talk about the the players that should have made it that were snubbed yet again uh let's start with edgar you have a little more to say about edgar i'm sure oh yeah i mean edgar martinez the biggest knock on him is that he was a designated hitter, which I don't understand much about. But like, like I said, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred slash line uh, hit only three hundred, only three hundred nine home runs. Not saying that's not a lot, but that's about the only thing he lacks on on his resume besides being a designated hitter. To but to say that he's not an all time great hitter and not to acknowledge that of him going into the Hall of Fame is it's is borderline criminal. <laughs> yeah, and people that vote, you know, that are in the Baseball Writers Association that vote for the Hall of Fame are very, you know, interesting people in their own right, meaning that I don't agree with a lot of them. But when when the general consensus is just so far off of what these voters are are doing, that's when questions need to be raised. The fact that ballots still are not public for for everyone like people make their ballots public by choice but they're not required to be public which is a huge flaw in the system if you ask me and you know this the argument that you make you don't really understand i don't really understand why they don't want a dh in the hall of fame um you know, like you're playing half the games well pitchers are playing half the games position players are theoretically playing playing half of the game of baseball like if you're the best at what you're doing you should be in the hall of fame yeah i that's the thing i don't like much of this like positional favoritism because we talked about with relievers because yeah i i've heard the argument for martinez like they don't like the ages that much but they also like relievers like you can make an argument that relievers do less than the ages but relievers are considered hall of famers and stuff like that to 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 Knocked out against him is to say he wasn't valuable enough, and it, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I can kind of use that same argument as a transition to talk about Scott Rowland, who 
was on the ballot for the first time this year and didn't make it, obviously. He only got about 10% of the vote. But he really, you know, is a player that, when you look at the body of work overall, like, that's something that is something that looks like a Hall of Fame career. But people still use that argument. Oh, I never watched him at any point in his career and decided that he looks like a Hall of Famer. That, it, it's it's the players like Scott Rowland, it's the players like Mike Mussina, who we haven't talked about, who just, when you're looking at it in hindsight, when you're looking at the body of work as a whole, is the, only, is the time that you appreciate what they were able to do. And when they're lost in the mix, you know, as they're playing, you know, Scott Rowland was never the best player at his position i would say at any point in his career but he was certainly you know he he put in the work he he stayed on the field for how however long how many seasons did he play he played 17 seasons and you know he accumulated it's, it's pretty loud in the background for me i'm sorry on my end there but you know he put together very very formidable numbers he like 280 batting average and 490 slugging percentage like they're nothing it's nothing spectacular but when you look at just the, the completeness of his game and the longevity of his game, you know, if we're not rewarding those types of players for that, he, he had 70 wins above replacement in his career, um, according to Baseball Reference. It, it depends. It, people are looking for different things as voters, and they can't seem to make up their minds as to what is a Hall of Famer. What what really is a Hall of Famer? So it's super arbitrary, and it it's really upsetting. Um, and I guess I'll mention too, Mike Mussina is kind of the same way. Never really was like the best pitcher in all of baseball, but again, accumulated 82.7 career war um, throughout his career. So, what more do yeah. you want? Yeah, it's. I, I mean, uh, uh, my thought too is I know we're not going to talk about it here necessarily because it's a kind of an argument that kind of goes nowhere at this point. Uh, about the steroid era, guys. I think once all that kind of clears up in a, f- in a few years, then I think kind of all this stuff will help out. And hopefully there are some reforms coming to the voting process. But, yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot of guys in the ballot are like, you look at their body of work, they were really good players. Like I said, they never stood out necessarily uh, as, like, top players in the game. But you look back, you're like, no, this is a very solid body of work. You mentioned Messina, um Scott Rowland, talk about Fred McGriff, uh, Larry Walker, Omar Vizquel, and even like Jeff Kent to an extent. I mean, a lot of these guys you look back like, no, these are really good players, and they should they should be getting more love than than they are getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess what what other notes were there from the the ballot this year? Johan Santana was one of the more surprising ones to come off the ballot in his first year. Did not get yes enough votes in that regard um like jamie moyer also you know the kind of, he was there forever didn't really pitch well <laughs> in his time i don't think he should yeah. be a hall of famer but he's off the ballot also at this uh, point. And, andrew andrew jones didn't get much i think get maybe what seven or eight percent yeah but he snuck his way onto the ballot for next year he i believe right he's yeah yeah it's 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 five percent or less but i mean mm-hmm. you can look at guys like i mean andrew jones was didn't a fantastic he win, player. Didn't he, all, didn't he win all the gold gloves? Didn't didn't he just? I think so. Yeah. For I the mean, entirety of his career. He he was one of the best center fielders in baseball in Atlanta. 
uh, along with Cy Chipper Jones. And to to ignore that, it seems like people are ignoring that a lot because, I mean, basically outside of his short stint with the Dodgers where he was awful, and that's why Dodger fans don't like him. I mean, he was solid when he went to the Yankees and later in his career. It 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 baffles me that it's he only got like 7 or 8%. Yeah, um, I th- I think that covers most of the the ballot as a whole. Um, we'll, we'll probably at some point do a more complete Hall of Fame podcast, hopefully with a guest um, to get some some new perspective on it, and we can talk about you know other players that are deserving or not deserving. We can talk about the twenty nineteen ballot for next year. Um, so that's something we can do in the future. Uh, for now, though, we can go ahead and move on to our Team of the Week, which is ideally going to be the bulk of this podcast, although we did talk about the Hall of Fame quite a bit. It was, it was important, though. It was a good good conversation. But the White Sox are, of course, not a contender this year, but they are <laughs> definitely a fun team to watch. I have not released an article on the White Sox yet, but I am in the process of working on an article about the the decisions that the White Sox made that led to their their hasty rebuild, which, you know, you can look at their team now and say they did a really good job with the rebuild, with the prospects that they've been able to bring in. Um, to name a few of the, the big ones, obviously, Yohan Moncada debuted last year, uh, with the White Sox, that is. Um, Michael Kopech is waiting in the wings, the 100-mile-an-hour flamethrower. Eloy Jimenez, also one of the top outfield prospects that they got from the Cubs. Um, and they also, you know, guys like Lucas Giolito, who are, he's a, big, he's a big league pitcher now, but still, you know, a young prospect type of pitcher. Same with Ronaldo Lopez. Um, and I think the main, the main point of this is that they look good for the future, but many people, including White Sox fans, should consider what this team would look like if they did not make the trades that they made, you know, trading Chris Sale to the Red Sox, or Jose Quintana to the Cubs, or Adam Eaton to the Nationals. With those those three in particular, I mean, Tommy Canely is arguably a fourth piece that you could group in that core that's just a really good relief pitcher with lots of team control. Um, so, are are they going to be able to replenish that with the 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 core of prospects they have? That's the real question that I am am tackling in my article. Kind of, you know, going into the topics of player development um, as a whole throughout Major League Baseball and the competitive balance of you know just the the types of teams that are contending for the playoffs and the huge divide between them and the teams that are in the rebuilding stage. So I guess first off, I'll, I'll throw out a couple things that are going to put the trades that they made in a little bit better context. Chris Sale at this point is under contract um, through 2019 and a team option for 2020. So he is going to be there. Um, no, other way around. Under contract for one more season and team option for 2019. So he will be there the next two seasons in in Boston, unquestionably. So in those two years, they will the Red Sox will be paying $14 million to Chris Sale, who just is, you know, having come off a, a runner-up Cy Young season, you know, not too bad for, for that price. 
The Cubs will pay Jose Quintana under $10 million per year through 2020. So that's three more years of control for Jose Quintana with the Cubs. Uh, the Yankees, of course, traded for David Robertson and Tommy Canely. And, you know, David Robertson is what he is. He's older. He's a free agent after this season. But Tommy Canely is under team control for three more seasons as well. So that's another plus for the Yankees. Adam Eaton is probably the most valuable player of these four in terms of contract. He is owed an average annual salary of $8.6 million over the next four seasons. That's four more years of Adam Eaton, who, you know, despite his injury last year, appears to be coming back healthy. That was definitely a fluky type of injury that could have happened to anybody. And he was playing really, really well with the Nationals in the meantime. So at this point, the White Sox really, you know, should be proud of the kinds of contracts that they were able to get these players under while they were still with the team. And that is a main part of the reason why they were able to get such a great prospect return. Um, but it wasn't at a cost because you can look at it now and say they could have two to three more years of a really good one-two punch in their starting rotation and a very above-average center fielder in Adam Eaton. So they have to replenish that at this point. And maybe I'll, I, I've been commanding this, this topic so far. I haven't really thrown anything to you, Ray. But I'll go ahead and ask you about the types of prospects that the White Sox have. Does it look like under these conditions that the White Sox will be able to replenish the, what they've lost in Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, and Adam Eaton over the next couple of years with the the players they have now? Um, I It's hard to say yes, but also that doesn't necessarily mean like they're in a bad spot. Um, they certainly have young talent. I think they did it. I think they did a decent job. They did a good job getting talent for what they sent away. I mean, that Adam Eaton trade was ridiculous. Getting the uh, Gilito and was Kopech part of that deal too? No. Or was well, that? Well, what what was uh, they got Ronaldo Lopez and yeah, they got another pitcher. It was it was Lopez, but like um, ridiculous in what regard they, though? They get. In what respect? I mean, Adam Eaton, yes, it was a team-friendly contract, and yes, he's a good player, but I don't think he was worth first and third overall prospects at that point. Um, but, like, to get that, the Cubs keep trading away number one prospects uh, to get guys. They got Yohan Wakanda. They got very good pieces. I, the oldest guy on that team now might, besides like maybe like James Shields, would be like Jose Abreu because he came over when he was like 29. Um, I think they're a veteran signing away. I'm not sure exactly what spot. Uh, prob- maybe in the starting rotation um, from really solidifying a team that could really contend in two, two to three years. And I think what your perception indicates is that a lot of, and not to call you a common baseball fan, I'm talking about baseball fans that are you know decently educated on you know the minor league systems and the scope of baseball. I think it says a lot about the perception of prospects at this point. Prospects are so highly regarded, more so than probably we've ever seen. And that's a big part of the reason why you're looking at the free agent market right now with 
almost exclusively 30 plus year olds and they're undesirable commodities even for teams that are in contention for you know that are trying to win the world series this year at the top end of the spectrum they would much rather give opportunities to their their prospects the ones that they develop more so than a proven commodity that is you know decently affordable on the free agent market so it says a lot about the shift in the business ideology of things but i i think more than anything it says a lot about the the shift in confidence towards these these prospects these young players and you say that the adam eaton contract was ridiculous and at the time it might have looked ridiculous just because we see you know the number one in three prospects for the nationals i think at the time both starting pitchers both with incredible upside and you have to to understand that that is not who they are that is what they can be and adam eaton in the meantime is signed to one of the most team-friendly contracts in all of baseball and came off a really really solid 2016 season and that that is something that is a proven commodity at that point what he was able to do he did it the past three seasons since 2014 essentially he's been a very solid player and we look at that now we're conditioned to believe that four prospects are equivalent to one major leaguer and we play those odds every single time and we're happy with those odds if if you're a white Sox fan you'll, you'll take those odds because you're looking down the road and hoping that at least one of them pans out and the context that i'm bringing up now with the players in their contracts with adam eaton you would have him the white Sox would have him for four more seasons that is a it's just an insane thing to think about you know you can have like you'll have lucas giolito and Ronaldo lopez for longer ideally but neither of them has particular neither of them have broken out to this point so that's something else to keep in mind as well do you agree with that statement though that the the perception of prospects in every at every level from team management to you know fan bases to you know even like casual fans see prospects as much more desirable commodities than ever before i mean yeah no i, I agree like prospects have become a major part of what teams view as su- success um and I think that's certainly helped by what the Cubs and Astros have done winning their World Series last two years. They're built on prospects. Not not saying they're all young guys. They obviously have veteran signings. But, like, prospects have a lot of value. And I think because MLB teams have stepped up their game in their development department, it's not it's not necessarily uh, false value. It's not like mm-hmm. um, teams have really dedicated – themselves to okay we have these good prospects now let's make sure that they're good at the major league level um yeah but I, I, but on the on the on the eaton thing i know eaton is a very team-friendly contract and he's a very he's very solid uh player mm-hmm. but like even number one and number three i think they might have given away somebody else that was still a lot for a guy like eaton and i you can kind of tell uh, i think the nationals were looking at 
talking about Kane Lee, talking about training for Robertson, and I, I kept seeing, like, they're not really close on anything. So, yeah, because they traded Adam Eaton for their number one, number three prospects, their top two pitching prospects. That's a high bar to set for the Nationals when you're dealing with the mm-hmm. team. Um, but well, I'm, I'm so not saying... I'm sorry, I just kind of want to confirm that what you're trying to say is that by trading those two players for a player like Adam Eaton, they eliminate their their chances to trade for any other, you know, potentially more valuable players to that team in the future. Yeah, it didn't help because they said, okay, here's the, the price they got for Adam Eaton was your top two pitching prospects, number one and number three overall. Now you want to have a guy like Tommy Canley or David Robertson, and then I don't know what they were offering, but I mean that's a steep bar to set. I I, I know this isn't the Nationals podcast. I think I know the White Sox made very well out of it in terms of prospects, but um, I'm not and I'm not saying they vastly overpaid, but they still overpaid for Adam Eaton. Okay, well I mean that's the thing about these trades too is you can't you can't decide that at this point. You know, if Adam Eaton is as good as advertised for them, you know, <laughs> after coming off of the surgery, um, then you you might not be able to say that. You might say down the line, if Lucas Gilito and Ronaldo Lopez never quite figured out, that the the Nationals really are better off in this case. It's such a different case than your your typical rental. Is another point that I was that I was trying to make. Yeah. Um. So with let's let's focus more on the prospects that the White Sox do have right now. Um, which one of these players that I mentioned? Let's let's keep it limited to like Moncada, Kopech, Jimenez, uh, Blake Rutherford, I guess, Lucas Giolito. Which one of these players excites you the most for next season? Like in terms of impact in twenty eighteen. Uh, I really think it's Yo Moncada because he's. He's a guy who's he probably has the most major league experience out of all those players you mentioned. Um, and um, yeah, well, I mean, Giolito might be around the same in terms of experience, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think McConaughey is really can be a good offensive centerpiece along with Jose Abreu. Um, I, I think he's the most exciting one in my opinion. But yeah, I I mean, Kopech if he, if if you can get Gilito, Kopech, and Lopez to all pan out, then I think it's very good. But it, um, I, I, I would say a hitter could be arguably more valuable than a than one pitcher panning out in a uh, for in terms of prospects. Okay, uh, sorry, I was just trying to to follow at the the end of that statement there, but I think I understand at this point. Um. So you're still looking at Moncada as the as the the highest upside player on this team that this team has to offer. I think I think upside in terms of his potential impact on the team. Because right, the thing for, is, for this season, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And because if you put it in context like Giolito could have a, a really good year, but let's say Kopech and Lopez don't pitch very well, Carson Former doesn't pitch very well, James Shields continues to be James Shields and they don't trade him. Um then that starting rotation is not very good, except Giolito is very good. But if Mokanda is very good, then you already have a Brady there. You have uh, other pieces that perform. So I, I think for this year in particular, in context of what the White Sox have, Mokanda has the ability 
to have the most impact on the team. Yeah, and I mean, he is technically no longer a prospect. Yeah. He really has yet to establish himself in this year. Is He's poised to make a, a statement, so to speak, and really establish himself. He was the former number one overall prospect. So I, I think for most people it comes down to Moncada or Kopech. And Kopech actually has made impressive strides in his pitching ability in terms of, you know, just main, first of all, maintaining the, the durability that would be required if you were to be a starting pitcher, which would be a very, you know, big gap between him being a starter and a reliever, you know, hundred mile an hour relievers are a dime a dozen these days. But if Kopech can, maintain his level of consistency that he's showing right now that would be really ideal for them and I think for the reason that you mentioned that the White Sox rotation really isn't very good Michael Kopech could see more of an opportunity than you know some of the other you know position players that are around you know i i'm i convinced, I wouldn't argue, I'm convinced I wouldn't, that moncada will play the whole season in, in, in the case of the white Sox, i'm convinced he will play most of the season but normally pitchers have <sighs> a tougher time you know sticking in a rotation but i think yeah. the white Sox will give him a fair a fair crack in this case i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that the white Sox rotation isn't good um i think it's at this point unproven um right james shields is the only known commodity uh but like it's especially with uh, Carlos Rodon recovering from shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. Do you? I, I actually I feel like I should know this, but do you happen to know when he's due to be back? Uh, possibly spring training. Because looking at the depth chart, it says he's recovering September twenty seventeen. Uh, recovering, but I looked at like I took a look at a couple other depth charts, and it tells you when the guys are being back. Like it told me who Arias was going to be back in May, so um, doesn't tell me when Rodon's going to be back. So I. And I haven't heard anything. Maybe spring training could be into the season, but mm. basically, him and James Shields are the only guys. And I guess Miguel Gonzalez in that. Miguel um, Gonzalez. Yeah. In can that. You, can you even call them commodities at this point? <laughs> no, no entities. If you. Ent- <laughs> if, the, they are they are simply entities that they possess. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but for the most part, they're improving. Gilito, Lopez, Fulmer, and and Kopech. Uh, so they said. Because they have so many young guys in that in that rotation, it's going to be harder for one of them to make an impact. They all have to make an impact for to really uh, for the put, team to push, be competitive. For the, for, the, for the team to be competitive, yeah. Right. Whereas whereas Mokanda is is uh, I mean he doesn't need much of a sporting cast in terms of how much of an impact he can make on his own. Yeah, and I think the expectations are in place. They're not they're not unreasonable for the White Sox. Um, just one last thing I'll ask you before we wrap up is, do you think there's any free agent moves or trade trades that the, the White Sox should be making at this point, uh, going before the season starts? Uh, this season, no, I don't think, um, I think they're a year or two behind the Phillies and the Phillies made a couple of moves with Nishak and Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they should see how this season shakes out, especially with their rotation, uh, possibly, sorry for the noise. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's authentic. I know, but po- uh, possibly if they move James Shields, I don't know who in the world would want James Shields. 
But um, if the rotation, if their guys prove to be a solid rotation, then I think they can really look, okay, let's make this next step forward with a veteran back. Because Jose Abreu, like I said, he's not a young guy necessarily. He's he's 30, 30, right. 30 31 now. So um, it's not like you have a huge window with him as your star. Yeah. And I, I think some people are still of the opinion that they should trade him. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary based on where they are. I think they're in a position um, in terms of payroll, in terms of positional depth at this point with the prospects that they do have to make a realistic push for 2019, 2020, of course. At that point, they should be in full swing. So, you know, they don't need to to keep re- hitting the reset button by trading Jose Abreu. I think that would be one step too far, even. Um, and something that I think more of these teams should look at is signing players to long-term... I, I say long-term with air quotes. Long-term contracts with the aim of getting them for when you are going to be a contender. And of course, no free agent out there is going to say, I want to go to a team that's not planning on making the po- the postseason this, season, this year. Like, Carlos Santana with the Phillies is the perf- perfect example of this. The Phillies expect to be a serious contender next year. I mean, they'll play their full season. They'll play out, you know, all of their their prospects and run out the best team that they possibly can. That's not to say they won't be competitive at all this year but realistically they signed carlos santana for next year and that's okay like that's something that teams should do more of i think um so i if the white Sox did decide to sign mike moustakis to a deal then you know they'd have him they wouldn't have to deal with any free agent fuss at the time of the the higher demand for that position. I think it's just something to keep in mind. I guess Mike, Mike Moustakis would be a pretty specific example of a player they could go after in this case. Um, and I think considering the number of outfielders that are out there, they should definitely add a veteran outfielder. Because um, right now, the White Sox depth chart in the outfield not looking so hot. Um, so they, they need to do something and to extract. Like, you look at developing teams even the a's sign relief pitchers every single year they do it with the intention of flipping them and that's very blatant but it also happens to work every now and then so on the off chance the the no risk potential like low reward type signings they should be going for that constantly <laughs> that's that's what i think all right i think that is going to be the end of our podcast for today unless you have anything else to add anything else before we wrap up here uh, no. All right. I like it. Nice and concise. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. Hope you liked what we had to say about the Hall of Fame and the White Sox. We'd love to hear what you have to say about either of those topics. So you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter at BeatTheShiftBP at both of those places. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. And you can also email us at BeatTheShiftBaseball at gmail.com. So... That is all in the description if you need to see that again, Uh, as well as our website. Our website is in the description. It's got all our articles, all our podcasts, so make sure you check that out as well. All right. Thank you, everybody, one last time for joining us on this one. 
As always, Ray. Did you say it? I, I missed it. I was muted. Oh no! You can still say it. Peace. Yeah. I like this now. I like this, this little talking over the music at the end. Thing. Yeah. I said it and I looked at my Skype thing and I'm like, oh, I was muted. You just left tens of people hanging out. That's I a left generous, that's a generous estimation. That is a very generous estimation. I left three people hanging. 